the entrepreneurial journey podcast we're talking business and building a culture that's kick-ass where we make it happen grab your seat let's have a blast at the entrepreneurial journey Hello and welcome to the Entrepreneurial Journey podcast. Today I have Maria Anderson with me. Uh, she is a menopause coach. Hello, Maria. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me, Rebecca. Absolutely delighted to be here today. Oh, absolute pleasure. Lovely to see you. Now, you are, you've got a really impressive career, can I just say. You spent 38 years in the NHS. You train midwife, is that right? Yes, so I trained as a nurse first. Right. So I did my three and a half years nursing as initially because I didn't do direct entry into midwifery at that point. That's how far, uh. far ago, how long ago it was. And then I um, trained as a midwife and I have been a midwife for 35 years. Wow, that's a very long time and a lot of babies. <laughs> oh, a lot of babies, probably over a thousand deliveries, I would say. Wow. So in my combined experience of working in community, working as a um, community midwife, working in, in the delivery suite and working in various hospitals throughout the UK, um, a lot of babies and very varied um, experiences as well. Yeah. Now, um, obviously, this is an entrepreneurial podcast, yes. so we're not going to dwell too much on on the NHS career, but you've done many roles within the NHS. And I often think there are entrepreneurs within large organizations and from the track of your career the path of your career it seems like you were you're always forging ahead you always looked at things slightly differently so tell me about your journey through the NHS before we get to your business yeah so that's absolutely true I've never really thought about it like mm. that but um yes it is so so I am a long long life learner I always have been and I think that's been I'm very curious I always ask questions I like to understand and I always like to test and learn things and think right okay if this is not working how else can mm. it work and I suppose working in the NHS you've got to be very resourceful and so um so that was one of the qualities that I probably showed all the way through my career was that resourcefulness of you know a lot of times you know with um budget and um you know not a lot of resources within the NHS you have to be creative you have to think out the box and you have to think okay what is the way around this um issue or how can we think about things in a different way so I suppose that's where it's always come from mm -hmm. so I trained as a midwife so I was a, um, a midwife and worked in lots of different areas so um, I worked in um, in Newcastle that's where I'm from and also I then went into work in London so I worked there for eight years and I did a lot of home births water births wow. and so I suppose in those kind of situations it's about your decision making resourcefulness you know off the cuff kind of decisions or you know not you know you have to just react to different situations but you also have to be prepared for any kind of situation as well so there's a lot of that um, and then I also um I love 
loved um, learning myself and I loved working um, with students. So I took on that role with it in whatever role I was in, actually, that always loved looking after the students and helping them to understand breaking things down into a simple way so they can then help women to, you know, have the best experience in childbirth. And right. so I, and that took me into different roles where in certainly when I was working as a midwife I was always that education person as well and and then I went into do my I did my postgraduate diploma in education and um, did my degree and and continued on that and I intertwined it throughout every role that I had and so then I became a registered lecturer um, in midwifery and worked in various universities as well alongside my role so but the thing was with the education, and this is um, a little bit of where it's taken me on the journey, is that, yes, you have education and you have knowledge, and that's great. Um, but for me, I was still more curious because what I wanted to know was what were the results of my students um, oh. or anybody I was working with. What is the result of what we're doing here today? How can I measure what the outcome is? So then that took me into a quality improvement role where I became a health healthcare improvement leader within Scotland in the NHS and so I used to run big healthcare improvement programs um, and that was the so what so when I was working with staff and and it's not about the it's not about the people doing a bad job in any kind of situation when there's any improvement it's always about it's always about a system and a process that mm. is not working and so so I love working with people. So I was like really encouraging staff to think as well in a different way. And also in my improvement role, it was I could measure the outcome. So when um, there was the small changes and and staff started to think in a different way and looked at the systems that they were working in, how it was really improving patient outcomes and they also the staff experience as well. The, the outcomes of patient care is really interesting. And I think sometimes we have listeners all over the world um, who don't use the NHS and perhaps don't understand the weird relationship us Brits have with the NHS. Um, um, in the, I think often patient outcomes are forgotten actually, in the politics of the NHS, because um, it's such a political football. If you had a magic wand, what would you do to sort out this huge organisation that clearly doesn't work well for everybody at all in the way it should do? What, what, what are your insights? What would you do, Maria? Look after the staff, yeah. number one. Yeah. So that is when you when the staff are feeling that they are cared for, that they are communicated in a meaningful way, that they are truly cared for, they will look after patients and yeah. and clients in a very positive way. And yeah. it's because if you have staff who are tired and feeling exhausted and not valued then um, the, it's very difficult for them to show up really, uh, and they do in the NHS, but at the detriment of their mm. own health. Yeah. And I work with a lot of NHS staff as well in what I do. So, 
So I would say look after the staff. I would also have systems and processes that actually effectively influence outcomes for patient care. Mm -hmm. So what is working for patients? What are the outcomes of that? What is the data around that? And actually be influenced by that and have a very much of a open mind about that what sometimes what you think is going to work is not necessarily yeah. the thing that is makes the difference yeah so have data to influence and guide every part of what is working in the nhs and what is not yeah it's it's the same in business it's exactly the same in business you look after the people you get the culture right and you work out what works for everybody, for the, for, you know, in business, it's the clients, the customers and the people working in the business. And if you get all of that right, it works. And you, you're absolutely right, Maria. It's, it's actually not usually what people think it is. It's actually usually simpler, I find. You know, I I often think I don't know. I've never worked in the NHS. I've coached people in the NHS, but I've not worked in it. And I often think, and I see this in business as well. People try and overcomplicate things all the time, and actually, the solutions usually really straightforward. So after dedicating to your life, really, what sounds like a vocation? Thirty-eight years in the NHS sounds like a vocation to me. It doesn't yeah. sound like just a job. What was the catalyst for you to go, right, I'm going to set up my own business? So for me, I did become burned out and I was, you know, it was impacting my own health. Mm. And what I didn't realise at the time was I was actually experiencing perimenopause symptoms. Oh, okay. So I was just putting it down to you know, I'm juggling a family, I'm juggling a very busy life, I'm juggling so many things in my life, and I'm busy, 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 I never prioritise myself at Mm. all, and Mm -hmm. I think that's a cultural thing, um, Mm and that I have been conditioned into, to working in, with, from working in the NHS, and I got to a point in my life, when I'd had my two children later on in life, so I was in my four mid 40s I would say and I felt that actually I am not sure what I'm doing here I actually (laughs) felt really confused I felt I was going a bit crazy in terms of I had had lots of roles within the NHS with lots of responsibility and I felt like I was going a little bit crazy in the fact that I had lost my confidence completely Mm. and I didn't understand why I'd lost my confidence my physically there was lots of things happening like my eyebrows fell out I and my periods were all over the place god and there was lots of physical things and also how I was feeling. I felt like I was second guessing myself a lot and I was having to work really hard on that. And I was keep putting it down to, oh my gosh, is it because I'm getting older? Is it because this? I am not understanding why I'm feeling the way that I'm doing. And I had also just quietly in the back bedroom of my house um, wrote a book, um, Tales of Midwife, which was which was a really great experience in terms of I wrote it. I was, you know, um, I never told anybody I was writing it. I hadn't told my employer. I hadn't told (laughs) 
um, <laughs> and you buy friends. And I hadn't told a lot of people about it, but I was, it was almost like a cathartic. I wanted to, I wanted to write it because I wanted people to know that you don't go from um, being not very confident as a student to being really confident as a midwife. I wanted to do it for my children so they understood that actually I did have a life before them. And also a little bit of insight into how it was to work as a midwife. And mm. um, and that was before all of the uh, one born every minute and, you know, the, yeah. you know, call the midwife that wasn't on the telly so it was quite an area where nobody really knew but so I wrote it and that was great but then I realized that actually it was was told by the publisher we've got a lot of publicity to do here and this is where I really struggled and so the book came out I thought I could be divorced um, struck off the register and sacked oh. in one day because I hadn't, um, I I hadn't had anybody to read it, and so okay. I was thinking, oh my gosh, I was really nervous. So I even couldn't start that conversation. But the the important thing was is what I wasn't prepared for was the publicity. And I wasn't prepared for how that was going to really impact me in a way of how I was feeling and how I was really struggling with actually coming out and being very public with the book. Mm. But when I joined the dots going back, I as I was standing outside Waterstones and I was waiting to do a book signing, I really struggled. And the guy came out and he said, are you coming in, Maria? I said, yes, I am. And he said, he said, you know, we've got a lot of people here to come and see me. And at that point, I was I was having these, you know, this feeling in my stomach. I was feeling not very confident. And I was thinking, oh, my gosh, like, you know, I was really worried. And, mm. and I, at that point, I thought, I need to sort this out. I need yeah. to understand what is happening. And I need to understand what is going on. And that moment sparked this real change in this direction of personal development I recognized I prioritized myself I wasn't prioritizing I felt it was a luxury and that you know going off to spas and now obviously self-care and prioritizing yourself is you know yes it can be part of that but it's Mm. it's a whole lot more than that it's about put clear boundaries it's about your energy managing your emotions all of these kind of things and and looking at, and I started to look at my life and pay attention in a very different way. And this took me on a, almost like a, it was about a seven or eight year journey to really figure out that actually it was my hormones that were really causing me oh. an issue. I was in the perimenopause. And right. It, and this, and, and at first I thought, is it imposter syndrome, you know, but actually it wasn't. It was actually my low hormone deficiency at this point that was causing me to feel like this. And so I thought, I cannot be, and even though I've got all this healthcare background, I am still experiencing this. Yeah. I understand hormones. And so I decided... I cannot be the only woman feeling like this. And if I am feeling like this, what are so many other women feeling like? And so this was a real platform. I couldn't take the platform of what Tales of a Midwife was, you know, presenting to me. I just had to, you know, at that point, I wanted to just quietly go away and and I couldn't take any of the opportunities at that point. I just quietly got back into my own life, but decided to do the personal development and right. as I went through that journey, I then recognized that I wasn't alone, that I, there were so many other women feeling like this. And this is what really gave me this 
opportunity to think, actually, I, as a coach and as an improvement leader, I can help other women. How can I do this? And how can I get my message out? And what can I do in a way of something that I absolutely love that I I can embrace it and do something completely different from the NHS? Yeah, it's it's incredible. So I I was at my checkup for HRT and um, one of the things it hadn't solved for me was interrupted sleep because I know many women get interrupted sleep. Their sleep patterns are awful. And I was getting brain racing when I woke up in the night and HRT didn't do anything to help that. And somebody suggested magnesium to me. And then I did a bit of Googling and like the stats are 80% of the population are deficient in magnesium and blah, blah, blah. I just literally started taking one magnesium tablet at bedtime and one slept through and two, even if I did wake up, I could get back to sleep without the brain racing. And I thought, how many people know about this? And the nurse that was seeing me, she said, I've never heard of that. She said, I'm going to try that now for myself. And it's like, why, why don't the NHS know about this or doctors or nurses know about it? Because it's so simple and it would save us a fortune. <laughs> what stops that information getting into the system, do you think? What stops it is because there is no training for um, the 60% of GPs and medical care staff and health professionals have had no training in menopause or perimenopause. Okay. And it's not even on the, um, it's, there's a real push now, you know, to actually change the system. But remember, we're actually going to, you know, where we are right now, we're working with a system. And I remember what I said about systems. We're working with a system that is actually not supporting women to get the outcome that they want. Yeah. So so it's thinking creatively. And remember all the things that I said about the, you know, the quality improvement role. How can we work creatively? What can we do in resourceful way? And, and actually, unfortunately, a lot of women are experiencing, you know, going to their GP and not getting the care or the information that they absolutely want and that they need because of the mm. system is not supporting. Yeah and health professionals and also it's not set up a 10-minute appointment is it's frustrating for gps as well you know i can look at it from a health professional point of view it's frustrating for gps they're not set up to be able to support women in a really supportive way because of the systems not supporting them either yeah yeah definitely or or men actually for that matter um you know anybody it's just not working for anybody so let's talk about your business because I know it's how long has the business been established for so I started coaching in 2018 okay um, that's when I started coaching but it, it was an evolving process. I always think I knew what I wanted to do in terms of coaching, but it was tweaking it into what was where was what was my gift and what was it that was going to really have a, a major impact. So I started coaching women generally on prioritizing themselves because that's where I was and and then what I noticed over that period of time, um, and probably more so last year 
all the women that was coaching were either in the perimenopause or menopause. Okay. That was the light bulb for me. And so I thought, okay, this is where I am absolutely going to focus myself because that I had my own experience. I had done all of my own work and I can get very specific here with women specifically who are experiencing this in perimenopause. So that's, so that's how it, how it evolved into specifically perimenopause and menopause right yeah and you have to uh, uh, tell all our coaches niche 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 down because once you find like I like that your gift once you find your gift then then people are drawn to you and attracted to you and it's and you clearly have a huge amount of expertise to give and I like the fact that you've got a good solid medical background because there's there's so much out there that potentially is snake oil and you know yeah. just not working um but I like the scientific and, and before we came to the interview we were talking about data and you're really strong on data um yeah. what what has come out of your learning since 2018 that you didn't know before that you'd like oh okay that's quite surprising from the work you've been doing so far so I would say at the beginning part of when I first started in 2018, I didn't collect data. Okay. <laughs> you know, and I was actually, I was still working as a, as a quality improvement pra- practitioner. So I was okay. collecting data all day in my everyday job, but right. I was doing it part time. You know, I was a bit of that, you know, just let's see, you know, dip my toe into this world of entrepreneurial journey. And I think that's where a lot of people start. Is yeah, this, they is do. That, you know, is this, what is it? And so I didn't actually retire from the NHS until last year when I realized oh. to be able to, to really to, I suppose, put a lot of my time and effort and really get some, a lot of traction in my business, I need to do it full time. And, mm. and and that's I, I just needed to take that leap of faith. However, <laughs> during that time I had um I did start collecting data. At the very beginning I didn't, um, but then when I started to collect data, I recognized the things that were working for um for the for the women's outcomes and clients' outcomes, but also the things that were working not working for me as well right. inside my business. So, you know, obviously we all know that inside your business, you've got the um, the metrics and, and what the metrics. So, you know, what what I um, originally started with in, in terms of my messaging, if that's not clicking in with my audience, then mm. I need to really fine tune my messaging and mm. And so who is actually picking, you know, how many how many people are actually interested in engaging with me and um, looking at the metrics of all of that inside the business. And and I think to do that, and I suppose part of my journey was I had to really drop the ego, not take <laughs> things personally, yeah. and also be open to new ways of working without without any judgment with I was unattached to outcomes as well 
Music to my ears, Maria. This is what I train our coaches and consultants. You've used so many. Have you read our materials? For a no. start, our, our entrepreneurial journey has a, a thing called leap of faith. You're absolutely right. You've, at some stage, you have to go all in yes. and just go, ah, it's like jumping off a cliff and going, oh, I know there's a safety net somewhere, but you've got to go all in. Yeah. And you absolutely right as a coach you cannot be attached to the outcomes otherwise you'd go insane and and you absolutely right no judgment these are all the things we train our coaches and consultants to do you are where you are the client is where they are you know you offer them a set of keys that they can pick up to unlock their potential or whatever it is in your terms their health benefits and it's up to them to pick them up and run with them and you cannot make them in any way shape or form great lessons brilliant yes yeah, sorry I interrupted carry on <laughs> yes no and, and that's that's great because and also in any kind of um and certainly from a quality improvement and just to share with you with your um, listeners as well you cannot start don't start collecting data on anything until you have your baseline data what are your mm. metrics from the very beginning so how do you know if you don't know what it is from a baseline perspective how do you know it's an improvement so yeah. that's really important to to do and that's where a lot of people you know have great projects and think oh i'm just going to go into that and actually then they start getting great results but they can't prove that this is what it is that's worked because they haven't got the baseline metrics mm -hmm. the data. Mm -hmm. and so, yeah that's sorry no i was going to say that's really important now i've got a question around that because the work we do is about culture and embedding yeah. cultures in business and a lot of our baseline data is very subjective yeah. um it because it's it's a feeling and yes you can see outputs in profit and loss and revenues and reduction of staff turnover you can have those interestingly when you start building really great cultures sometimes your staff turnover might go up Yes. Um, because people go, oh, I don't actually want to be a part of this. It's a bit too like much like hard work or, you know, people who are being a bit naughty in the organization have to be moved on. Um, so, yeah, it's really interesting. When when you're studying the baseline data for the, your clients, what are the key metrics that you're looking for, that you're basing that on? Energy. Energy. All oh, right. Okay. So cool. I use this because, so for example, and I use this in the NHS as well, um, but certainly for my clients. So if you have, say, for example, an energy of, um, give yourself an energy of one out of 10, one to uh -huh. 10. One is, I have no energy. I'm really, um, I've got no energy at all. 10 is, I am feeling amazing absolutely and um and linking that into emotions where are you in your emotions red amber or green and so right. if, even if you didn't do any other metric for yourself as a as an entrepreneur if you are an energy of one and then how are you absolutely measuring? How are you showing up in your business? How mm. easy is it for you to do the things that you need to do if you're an energy of one? So it's an inside job. We all know that it's got to come from your in, you know, internally first. It's you know, um, how how are you showing up? What is your energy levels? So if I um, and, and work to that, and so mm. I, I help 
women certainly because of again if you're perimenopausal and you're a business owner and you're thinking right well I've got an energy of one and I don't understand that is it just because I can't do it anymore and I'm mm. actually I'm not able to do this and I'm I'm just not good I can't do it when actually it's a perimenopausal issue yeah. once if and understand why your energy is low and so when you get the baseline data and start it up with energy and emotions then you can start to understand a bit more about yourself and then it's like actually notice when you are in energy of one how is that impacting your clients you yeah. know are you getting the results from your clients and how and notice as you go through this process if you are an energy of eight or nine, what impact is that having on for your clients? In what service are you providing? How are you showing up? What energy are you bringing to the table? And actually, what is the impact from that? You will attract more, um, more people into your world yeah. if you have good energy. And so- now, here's a question. Yeah, and I've always, I've never asked this question. I've interviewed a few menopause experts and coaches and nutritionists and all the rest of it what what happens post menopause does that energy come back naturally i've always wondered this what happens after perimenopause when you post menopausal so let's get the definition first so yeah. perimenopause is a time in your life where you start to where your hormones start to fluctuate where your body is starting to change in terms of your hormones are starting to decline okay so that's the perimenopausal stage where it can you know it can be you know average age you know people say 45 i think it's a bit earlier than that Mm. um and and this is a stage that can last four to ten years okay Mm -hmm. it's a long stage and every you know this is where Lots of women just don't, this is where they feel, I'm not sure what's going on in my life. Mm. I'm getting really stressed. It can be either the car crash um, and and the and periods are all over the place. Lots of physical symptoms, emotional symptoms, all of these kind of things. And, what, and menopause, the definition of menopause is when you have had 12 consecutive months without a period okay. and one day. Okay. So okay. menopause lasts four hang on for it one day oh okay (laughs) right okay this is going to blow your mind (laughs) menopause lasts for one day everybody talks about menopause it's the perimenopause that lasts for years post-menopause is 12 months and one day you go straight into the next day you go straight into post-menopause now I have a lot of women who are post-menopausal I am post-menopausal I am 56 feeling the most energy that I have done for a long time and but the thing is if you don't it's a it's a low hormone deficiency so if you haven't actually addressed it in the perimenopause or you know in that that perimenopausal stage you will still have all the symptoms unfortunately it's just going to get worse oh okay 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 i understand so it's so important to deal with it during perimenopause so that your postmenopause pause years are as good as they possibly can be right absolutely 
So wow, if, that is so mind blowing, Maria. <laughs> and this is why I always use the analogy of the perimenopausal stage is almost like bringing yourself out up the river, you know. Yeah. And, before you hit the waterfall, because the postmenopausal stage, I have a lot of women who come to me in postmenopausal stage and think, oh my gosh, Maria, you're my last ch- chance saloon, and I honestly cannot continue to live my life like this. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. can you do to help? It's never too late. I will always say that. And right. so, so the thing is, is actually that's why I want to help women to join the dots going right. forwards instead of going backwards and actually start to put in some of these measures that will actually help you. And remember, menopause is an opportunity. I think it's a gift for women to really take an opportunity to look at their life and through a a non-judgmental lens, and especially for business owners and entrepreneurs, is how do you want your health to look like when you're in your 50s, your 60s, your 70s, and your 80s. And that's what the end goal is. And so if you can take the measures now and take the steps of action right now, you are are going to be living the life and loving in your business, in your family life, and you're going to love it. And so you're optimized your health. Yeah, totally agree. Now, this, this is amazing stuff. And and in my show notes, there'll be uh, a link to your website, which is mariaandersoncoaching.com. I've got one last question, Maria, and that is if your business had a personality or a character, how would you describe it? <laughs> personality or character, I would say something of energy. It's got to be something very high energy. I, I would, I would. Is it a Duracell battery? I don't know. In terms of, it's the the long lasting renewable energy, and it's not the you know. If you, um, so I would say I would. You've you've caught me off guard, and I'm saying this absolutely raw. But I think you can. You know, this is where you can. You can try the the small plugins that maybe you have to um, are quick fixes, but actually by investing in your in yourself, in your time, in your energy, in your business, if you want that long lasting, re- rechargeable, you know, renewable energy, long lasting, you need to be aiming for that that Duracell or that. And I'm not 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 involved with Duracell. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, the batteries are available. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's it's almost like that that sustainable process. You need sustainable process in your business that are gonna last you, you know, that you are learning, yes, test and learn all the way through it, but you need that that real solid foundation. And also it's about your own energy and also the energy of your business. How sustainable is it? So yeah, I would say that. I would say that brilliant for me. Amazing. Listen, best of luck with your business. I know you're going to be helping many, many women sort their energy levels out. uh, And I love it. Thank you so much for your time today, Maria. That's amazing. I really appreciate being here and, um, and hopefully your listeners will take one thing away from it. So thank you so much for inviting me. Been a pleasure. The Entrepreneurial Journey Podcast. We're talking business and building a culture that's kick-ass where we make